Welcome to Interviews. My name is Laurent Autain and I am on a quest to crack the entrepreneurship code. I created this podcast to give a voice to passionate small and medium entrepreneurs around the world. I hope that the stories, practical tips and advice my guests share will inspire you to better navigate your own entrepreneurship journey. Hi, thank you for joining Interviews. Today, I am with Dre Baldwin, founder and CEO of Work On Your Game, based in the USA. Hey, Dre, thank you very much for joining me today. Hey, Warren, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, me too. I'm talking to a former professional basketball player. <laughs> so, <laughs> you were also a pioneer with uh, YouTube. I think you started with uh, YouTube videos the same year YouTube started in 2015, uh, 2005, sorry. And now you're an entrepreneur. You've been an entrepreneur for a long time. So tell us about your journey, please. Wow. Well, I'll tell you the two-minute version of it. Uh, I come from the city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's where I was born and raised. Always into sports. Played some, you know, street sports. But then the first team sport I tried was football. Uh, family couldn't afford the equipment, so I didn't never really played serious football. Tackle American football, I'm talking mm. to. And I moved on to baseball and played that for a couple of years, but wasn't really talented at baseball. Never was really excited about it. I only played it because a bunch of my friends were involved. Then I moved on to basketball. And that sport, you know, coming where I come from, from in the inner city, everybody can play basketball because you don't need any equipment. You don't need a glove. You don't need equipment, a helmet, nothing. You just show up. You yeah. don't even need a ball. You only need only one person needs to have a ball and you know, 20 people can play basketball. So everybody in my neighborhood gave it a shot, at least all the young men in their teens. So I started playing. Wasn't really good at first. Didn't make my high school team my first three years of high school. Did finally make it as a senior, but didn't even play. The one year I was on a high school team, I sat on the bench and only scored two points per game. Now, if you're right. playing hockey or soccer, two points is a lot. But in basketball, <laughs> two points, right? So, <laughs> so I didn't do much in basketball. And most people would have said, okay, you graduated from high school. I went to a good high school. You said, okay, you can be successful in something, but it's probably not going to be sports. But I still wanted to play sports. So I went to college, and I was a walk-on to play college sports. And for those who don't know what that means, that means I didn't have a scholarship offer. Nobody on the, the coaching staff of the school that I went to had any idea who I was. They didn't even know I existed. Mm. And I literally walked on to the basketball team. So you basically show up to the gym and just start playing. And I was able to impress some people with my performance. I made the basketball team and I actually became a starter my freshman year in college, even though I barely played in high school. So go figure how that works. <laughs> I ended up uh, getting recruited to a, a higher level college after my freshman year, just kind of a, a lucky break. I happened to be in the right place at the right time, ran into somebody while I was working on my game in the summer. So, you know, that, that hard work kind of led to some luck happening and finished my college career at, at the NCAA division three school was the third tier of sports. Uh, most athletes at D three level don't even dream about going pro, let alone making it happen. But I had this vision to make it happen. I was able to hustle my way in. I did that through, going to an event called an exposure camp, which is basically like a job fair for athletes. Played pretty well there. I leveraged my exposure camp performance to get myself an agent. Mm. And most people know how agents work. Agents are basically the go-between between the people who want jobs and the people who have jobs. So I was able to get an agent for basketball. That agent helped me get my career started in 2005, playing basketball overseas. And at the same time, as you mentioned, I put that, the highlight footage from that exposure camp on this new website called YouTube, and right. I basically had two careers going at the same time. So that was 15 years ago. I'm sure we're filling the blanks there, but now I am a full-time CEO, 
an owner of my company, Working Your Game Incorporated, where we take the mental tools necessary to succeed in the sports world and teach how those tools can be applied to business and life. All right. Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But first, tell me, uh, you played uh, professional basketball for nine years. Then you became an entrepreneur. What happened? What were the, the triggers there? Excellent question. Uh, so we got to go back in the story again. So, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, all right. No, this, this is excellent. This is excellent. This is good. This is good because a lot of people, I think, need to hear this. So where I come from, Lawrence, uh, I didn't grow up around entrepreneurs. I grew up around all the adults around me were employees. And I didn't even know there was a difference back then. I just knew, you know, adults have jobs and they're the ones who have the money. And therefore, they get to make all the decisions, right? So you ask your right. parents, can you have something? They say yes or no. And you say... They say, no, you say, why? Well, do you have a job? No? Okay, so I get to make the decision. So the challenge for me was growing up, I would look at the adults around me, my parents, uh, grandparents, aunts, uncles, all the adults in my neighborhood. And here's, it was three things I noticed. I think it was three things. Number one, uh, they were always at work. And it seemed like their whole life was revolved around their jobs, whatever they did for a living. What they, how much, what they spent, what they did, where they could go or not go was all based around does this fit my, with my job, my career? Mm. That was one thing. The second thing was none of them ever seemed happy about going to work. <laughs> it always seemed like going to work was like this necessary evil. Like all right, it was always, I have to go to work. I gotta yeah. go to work. It wasn't, I get to go to work or, Hey, I'm excited. I got, I got work tomorrow. It's Sunday. I'm looking forward to tomorrow because tomorrow's Monday and I have to go to work mm. or I get to go to work. I never heard that. People see, treated work as if it was just this necessary evil that you just have to go through as an adult. And mind you, all I saw were, were employees. So I'm figuring, okay, this is the life that I'm headed to. And none of them seemed happy about going to work. And the third thing was their whole life was based around work. They were always at work, but everybody was still broke. Like, nobody had any money. So right. I'm like, wait a minute, how's everybody always at work, but nobody has any money. I thought if you go to work a lot, you make more money. But everybody was always at work, didn't have any money. I grew up hearing things like uh, money doesn't grow on trees. Uh, we're not made of money. Mm. I remember when I was turning 16 and in the state of Pennsylvania where I'm from, 16 is the legal driving age. Yeah. So when I turned 16, I was getting my learner's permit, my driver's license. And my mom said, all right, son, what do you want for your birthday? And I told her I wanted a car. Now I knew I wasn't going to get a car, but I mean, you got to be willing to at least ask. You got to put it out into the universe, right? So I told my mom I wanted a car and what flashed across her face was a look that was about 50% anger and 50% disappointment. Right. <laughs> and I always remember this. I always remember this story, this situation. It was just me and her talking. And it was, the anger was, boy, you know better than to even ask for something that we can't afford. That was part of it. Mm. And the sadness was my mom's thinking, I know I can't afford to get this, this child a car, so I'm disappointed that he would even say it. So now I had to admit it and tell him no. And, mm. But the challenge with that is, as I got older, and somebody in the audience may be wondering right now the same thing I was wondering, what, how much does a car cost? We don't know. All right? You can get a car for $300 off of eBay, and yeah. you might spend 300000 if you go to the dealership. So my, but my mom had this in my, her mind. This is what she said. She said, we can't afford that. That was her answer. And... The house that I grew up in, you don't question adults. So I didn't say anything, but I always had this in my mind. So I'm, I'm telling you all that to get to the point here. In 2001, I was in college and I was walking across campus into this, this semester and on a bulletin board, and this is back before we had smartphones, on a bulletin board where people would post announcements and stuff, somebody had an announcement that said, 
uh, you want to make some money on the side, unlimited income potential, you no know, make extra money as a college student and their college students are broke. So I said, all right, I'll go. I'll grab the phone number. I went to the, the little meeting on campus. What it turned out to be was a, a network marketing opportunity. Now I don't do network marketing and I didn't stay in the industry, but I did go to a couple of the meetings and people have different, there's a lot of mixed opinions on network marketing. I'm sure you know, mm. but one of the great benefits that I got from just that little bit of exposure to network marketing was it was the first time in my life I had ever heard anyone just explain entrepreneurship and they explained the concept of entrepreneurship. And it was very eye opening to me because, and they, they would juxtapose entrepreneurship with being an employee. And when they described entrepreneurship, it was all new information. But when they described employees, I said, yep, those are the people that I know. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, you know what? This is okay. It was like the heavens were parting because I'm like, okay, here's an opportunity for me to do something else with my life besides what I see the adults doing. Uh, even though it didn't become network marketing, it opened my mind. The other thing that the network marketing opportunity did for me was that they started introducing me to personal development. And they started naming these, they would, after every meeting, they would say, go get the books outside. There'll be a table outside of the meeting at the hotel with all these books. Yeah. And they were introducing me to these authors I never heard of, uh, Jim Rohn, Brian Tracy, Napoleon Hill, Robert Kiyosaki. I never heard of these people. And I started reading the books. And I mm. remember I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And about a third of the way into that book, I said, okay, now I understand that there are some adults out there who are actually happy to go to work. <laughs> there are some adults <laughs> out there who are at work all the time, but they actually do have money. They can go on vacations. They never tell their kids they can't afford something. They say, how can I afford it? I said, okay, there's a whole other world of people out here that I just don't know about. Now, mind you, this is pre-internet for those of you who are listening, the millennials who are listening. There was no internet now. So, Lauren, you know, as well yeah. as I do, back then you were limited to your physical environment. If you didn't, mm -hmm. if you didn't know anybody else, that's, you just knew what you knew. Nowadays, you can get information from anywhere. But when I read that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that told me, this is about 20 years ago, I'm still in college. I said, this is what I'm going to do with my life. Now, I knew I was going to play sports first, but after sports was over, because we know sports don't go on forever, I knew you know, no matter what I did in the sports world, eventually I'm going to need to do something else with the rest of my life. I knew it would be entrepreneurship after I read that book. And I, I had to give all that context so you understand wow. why I was looking for it. So it sounds to me like you were really driven. I was... I was kind of driven by the negative, Lauren, right. honestly. I was driven by the negative of seeing the adults that just didn't look, they didn't seem happy and they didn't have anything. You know, I never went on a vacation until I was the one paying for the vacation. That was the first vacation I went on. Never yeah. went on a family vacation. Uh, parents never had anything extra. And there was always, you no, know, we don't have money. We're not made of money. Just these cliche phrases that sound silly these days. But back then, people really used these, <laughs> these phrases. And I'm like, that's not the life that I wanted to live. So I was just open. I was open looking for anything. And when I read that book, I said, all right, here it is. It exists. Right. So how did you come to the things that you do today? Like work, work your game. Uh, was it, was it based on, on these nine years of playing basketball that it nurtured in you? Yes and no. I'll tell you where it actually came from. One of the main places it came from was on the other career, YouTube. So right. I started posting these basketball videos. So I'm 2005 to 2009, let's say those first four years I was on YouTube. I would just post a video of me in a gym, actually practicing basketball, shooting, dunking, dribbling, things like that. A lot of times I wasn't even talking on the video. It would just be me in a gym doing a workout. Nowadays, that's a normal thing. But back then, nobody was doing this. 
And I would always read and respond to the comment section. There would be comments and this is a new thing. Mind you, we're talking 2005. This is yeah. not a, a normal thing. And I would always respond to the comments and players kind of got to know my background a little bit because I would respond to them and engage. And every once in a while, I'd make a video and say, all right, here's my background. So people keep asking me, all right, I'm from here. This, this happened in high school. This happened in college. Here's what I'm doing now. And players started, once they heard me speak, they knew I could play basketball. Once they heard me speak, they started asking me more questions. And they were asking me about the mental side of the game because they wanted to know. I wasn't even thinking about it, but they wanted to know. They say, Dre, what keeps you showing up to practice every day to work on your game by yourself? Because mm -hmm. there were times during my career, Lawrence, when I didn't have a contract to play professional basketball. I was a professional player, but I was a free agent, meaning I didn't have a deal at the time. But I would still go to the gym every day and work out. So players said, well, what keeps you working out every day, even though you don't even know when your next contract is coming? Or a player would say, Dre, I practice all the time too, but when I get in the game, when there's a thousand people in the stands, I don't have the same level of confidence. How can I be as confident in front of people as I am by myself? Right. And then people would say, well, Dre, you got cut from your high school team three years in a row. Dre, I just got cut from my high school team. What did you think in your mind to keep yourself focused and continuing to try even though you, keep, you kept failing? Because I need that help right now. Or players would say to me, and over the years, I started to build up a little bit of a name online. And players started noticing that. People who were watching me started noticing, like, all right, this guy's getting a little bit popular off these videos. Again, before it was a normal thing to do. So players would ask me, well, Dre, how do you get started with this stuff? How do you get started, you know, putting yourself out there, getting known or playing overseas? So in answering these four questions, I developed the framework, the foundation of what now we know is working your game. And it's discipline, showing up every day to do the work. Confidence, putting yourself out there boldly and authentically. Mental toughness, continuing to show up, doing the work, putting yourself out there, even when the success you're expecting to achieve is yet to be achieved. And personal initiative, making things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. So that was the foundation of work on your game. And the next thing that happened, Laurent, was I started every Monday. I'm making basketball videos, put them out every single day online. I put, I put out more content than anybody on this planet in the last 15 years. But every Monday, I started putting out this video called The Weekly Motivation. Mm. And basically all we're doing that video, I would just grab the camera, the selfie camera, and I would just talk for two to four minutes on any type of mental topic because players, people kept asking me about these mental things because obviously it was something that they saw in me that said, all right, this guy cut from his high school team, walked on at a D3 school and still played overseas. I didn't think it was a big deal because again, I only knew what I knew, yeah. but people were seeing that and they're like, that's, that's interesting. So they wanted to know what was in this guy's mind. So I started to start talking about things. And what happened is people who didn't even play basketball started finding me online. And they said, Dre, listen, I'm not a basketball player, but I subscribe to your YouTube because I want to see that video you put out every Monday. And I want to let you know that the stuff you're talking about applies to life just as well as it applies to sports. And that planted the seed in my mind, Lawrence, that when I'm done with sports, I can do this. Because I always loved speaking. I like putting words together and being able to take what's in my head and you know, codify it and be able to explain it to somebody else. I've always been into that. I didn't know there was a, a thing for it. I didn't know there was a such thing as you no know, professional speaking. We didn't have influencers or branding. We weren't even using the phrase content in 2005. All of these yeah. are new, right? Yeah. All of this is new stuff. So I didn't even know there was a possibility of that. But once I realized that there was, I said, okay, this is exactly what I'm going to do. So it was a little bit of obviously a skill and me putting myself out there, but also a good amount of serendipity that I happened to come out of college at the exact time that the internet became the internet and these, you know, democratized opportunities presented themselves to everybody. Yeah. 
Uh, that's a very interesting topic because let's talk to the millennials now because we're you and I we are the generation before them. Like you <laughs> yeah, said, yeah. we were when we were born, there was no internet. We had telephone with calls, crazy that's things. Right. <laughs> and you that's find right. YouTube in two thousand five. You started mm-hmm. posting the same year YouTube uh, was created. Right. What what changes have you seen? Because you're 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 a big uh, content uh, creator. And now we see the Instagram, the um, all these, the TikTok, all these social media. You know how much of YouTube and social media has helped you build your business? How much? I mean, it's been pretty much everything. Not just YouTube, but it's been um, blogging. I was actually blogging in May of 2005 before I got on YouTube. I actually, my first foray into internet was writing. And I've always been a big you know, writer to this day. I've written you know, a bunch of books and I still write to this very day. I, I basically use Instagram as a blog too. So I write long captions on my posts and things like that. So mm. it was that, it was the video and it was also audio. Nowadays we have podcasting. So I have an audio show. So I'm always getting on whatever platform is out there, whatever format is out there. So it's always been big for me. And most people who know me, know me through the internet. I would say 99% of people who know my name know me from the internet. They don't, they never met me in person. They didn't just see me outside. So that's the, been the greatest thing about the internet. It allows all of us to kind of get our, get our word out there, whatever it is we want to do, we can speak our piece. So it's been, to answer your question, it's been pretty much everything. And did you know at that time that YouTube would become so big? No, absolutely not. I was just putting a, I was just putting a video out because the reason I put my first video on YouTube is because when I went to that exposure camp, that job fair for athletes, they give you the footage of the games that you play in. So that footage was on a VHS tape. You remember VHS yeah. tape? <laughs> yes, I okay. remember, yes. All right, so that footage was on a VHS tape. The reason I got on YouTube is because I know that you drop a VHS tape, you can lose it, it can get tangled up, it can get wet, and it gets destroyed. That footage was like the golden ticket to my basketball career. So I put it on, I got it put on a data CD and put it on a computer on the yeah. internet because I knew that you can't lose something that's on the internet. So that's the reason why I got on YouTube and just randomly people were finding that video and leaving comments on it, even though they had no idea who I was. So I realized <laughs> that all right, it, was, it wasn't me they were looking for. They were looking for help with basketball and I happened to be the person who was supplying it. And then over the years, they started looking for me because I branded myself as the guy who's putting out basketball workouts. So that's how that happened. Wow. So you just surfed the wave of YouTube. Exactly. Exactly. I was out at the right time. Yeah. So what changes have you seen since 2005? How has, you know, YouTube, YouTube has exploded, but you mentioned that a little bit earlier, but let's go a little bit deeper. You know, because I really want people, the millennials, to understand how it was before and how, you know, what it was before the internet and the social media to do business and how it has changed everything now. How is it today? How is it today to do business? Man, well, let's say 10 years ago or even a little bit more than 10 years ago, it was a lot easier to, man, so many things. First of all, since there are so many people on Social media these days is a very crowded space, is very saturated, and nowadays you really want to carve out your niche. You know, not everybody's going to be just super, just generally famous, you no know, surface level famous. Right. You want to carve out a niche, and these days you can 
run your business just off of a niche audience as long as you're specific enough as to what you're offering and people you know, buy into your system or your program or you as the attractive character, whatever it is. Back then in 2008, 2009, I had very little competition. Back then, I'm putting out, I was putting out, there were times I was putting out four and five videos a day because there was so much demand for my material. But over time, as more and more people came into the game, I couldn't put out that much material because people wouldn't even see it. Back then, you had to apply and ask YouTube to run ads on your videos, believe it or not. Nowadays, you have to ask YouTube to stop running ads. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So the game has flipped in many ways like that. Back then, one of the most important things, when we're talking entrepreneurship, when I first started uh, creating and selling my own products, which was around 2009, 2010, I will put out, I would just make a little announcement video and publish it on YouTube, let people know, hey, here's my new product. You can buy it at thiswebsite.com. And people would just go straight there. I'll put a link right in the description and people would click on that and go to my site and buy my stuff. YouTube was basically my lead generator and I wasn't spending any money on advertising. I would just wow. use YouTube to send people to my website. Then around 2000 and maybe 14 or 15, YouTube changed their algorithm. And I think I was one of the main reasons they did it because what the algorithm change was all about was we are going to reward, this is the words of YouTube, we will reward creators whose content keeps people on YouTube. Mm. So if your content is causing people to click away from YouTube, you will be penalized and we'll stop surfacing your content. So I had been using YouTube just to generate my own leads for years and you know, trend did the thousands of transactions off of that. And then they, they did the marketers called the YouTube slap. So they gave the slap to all the people like me who were uh, using YouTube to market and sell our own stuff. And you had to, we had to change the game up a little bit. But by that point, I'd already built up and established an audience. So it didn't really matter. I already had a customer base. So that was another big thing. Now, nowadays, you see creators, they are incentivized to keep people on YouTube. So you watch this video, watch this one, then watch this one, then watch yeah. this one. And I, didn't, I never really liked that. I didn't like that because I remember when I first got on YouTube and they put out this thing called the partner program. And mind you, for those who don't know, around 2009, they introduced this program. You had to apply. You had to put an application for YouTube to put ads on your videos. And I remember I read the contract. Any of you ever go on a website and you check the box that says, I agree to the terms and conditions. I I read that. I read the whole thing. It was about 20 pages long. And I wanted to know the, the revenue split. Because mm. they were not announcing it. It was not, it was not headline news there. Nowadays, everybody can just Google it. But back then, you couldn't Google it. Because Google owns YouTube. So they didn't want everybody to know. <laughs> Nowadays, people know. But that revenue split was 45-55. So YouTube took 45% of your revenue. And you got 50, 55% of the revenue. Mm. Now, I get what some people say. No, no, 55% of something is better than 100% of nothing. right? But at the same time, I'm looking at it like, man, I'm doing all the work. I'm creating all the content. I'm drawing this audience and YouTube's going to take 45% of my money. And it's okay if they were taking 45% and we agreed to it, but there was no negotiation. All right. YouTube said, this is what we're taking. All right. You either take it or leave it. And the problem is YouTube was and is YouTube had no competition. All right. Who's, if YouTube kicks you off their site, where are you going to go? There's nowhere else to go. They own it. They have a monopoly on video online. So I said to myself, okay, I'm going to use YouTube, but I'm not going to build my, I can't build my home on YouTube. It's like building a a house on sand because if that wave comes, it's going to knock your whole house down. And the wave is they basically own your business. Like they Mm -hmm. own your leads. 
you don't have anybody's email address, you don't have their contact information. The only way you can uh, uh, interact with your audience is by publishing on their platform. They basically are the middleman and they own everything. And I didn't like that. I knew I needed to own my own. I knew I needed to have a list. I just inherently understood these things even though I could not have explained them back then. So I said, I'm gonna use YouTube for what it is, but I know I needed to build something of my own. So when you ask me about social media, period, I don't care if we're talking Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, even LinkedIn. None of those platforms, anybody who's a, a business owner who's listening to this, none of those platforms let you see the email addresses of the people who are subscribed to you. You can't download your list. You can't, mm -hmm. I got 130,000 subscribers on YouTube. Now, if I could add those all to my email list, that'd be great for my business, but I can't. Right? And YouTube knows that I can't. And YouTube will always keep it that way because YouTube owns those people. That's their list. Yeah. Those are, that's not your list. I, I hear people say things like, well, your YouTube subscribers or your Instagram followers are your list. No, that's BS. No, they're not your list. You are Instagram's list. Okay. You are on their list. They are, you don't own anything on those platforms. So I've always had it in my mind. I need to build my own and use those platforms. Some people are going to just follow you there and that's all they're going to go. But other people will follow you from there to wherever you want to send them. And if you get slapped by YouTube for doing that, so be it. But I'd rather take that slap and own something than not take the slap and build my whole business on somebody else's land. Right. Okay. So one of the key lessons you learn is build your own audience. So are there, are there other key lessons that you do learn along your entrepreneurship journey? Oh, sure. <laughs> when, it, when it relates to what? What subject? <laughs> In general. Or let's wow. say, let's say any big mistakes you wouldn't make again. Any big mistakes that I wouldn't make again, man. One of the big mistakes that it wasn't even really a mistake was that I started building a list too late. And I think anybody who owns a list will probably admit to that, that I wish I had known about building a list earlier. <laughs> if I had been building a list in 2005, I probably have you know, three times the list that I have now. I remember I put my first book out. Uh, it was called Buy a Game. It was basically my early basketball story. And I put it out for free on my website. And I didn't have a, a lead capture system for the book. I just had a link to it. And I said, go to this link. You can download the book for free. So I probably watched 50,000 email addresses slip through my fingers by not having a, a list set right. up when I put that first book out. So I think the biggest mistake was just not building a list sooner. But that's kind of like a, that's like a cop-out answer because everybody could say that. I wish I did this good thing earlier. Uh, let me, I had to think of something else. If you ask me a different question, I can come back. <laughs> what are you the most proud of? What am I the most proud of? That I was able to take an idea, which was just a concept. Work on your game was a concept. Uh, Dre All Day was the name of my website, was a concept. Uh, having a website, I remember back in 2002, I wrote out a list. I think one of those personal development books I got introduced to through network marketing says something like, write out a list of your goals, like not just for today but your goals for this month this year for the next 10 years for your lifetime around 2002 i wrote out a list of like 10-year goals and one of my 10-year goals was to have a website that was by me and about me a website about myself because i knew mm -hmm. i had a lot of things that i wanted to say and share with the world and this is at a time when i had a desktop computer that was so slow lawrence that i would type in espn.com and then i would hit enter and then i would go take a nap and i would wake <laughs> up and hopefully ESPN.com was on the page by the time I woke up. That's how slow that computer was. <laughs> so at that time, I had a vision. I was going to have a website called you know, DreBaldwin.com or something like that. 
And it was just an idea. This is 2002. And I was able to turn a lot of those ideas into real life, you know, tangible things. All the things that I do now, I mean, what the general product that I sell is my intellectual property, which mm -hmm. is basically an idea out of my head turned into something real that I'm able to, to uh, communicate its value to other people and they're willing to pay for it. I think that's, I think it's just an amazing thing that anybody can do that. And many of us do it every single day these days. I think that's my greatest accomplishment. Where do you want to take your business or what is, what's the legacy you want to leave behind you? Legacy I want to leave behind me is take the whole work on your game philosophy and make it into something that is, is ubiquitous. It's kind of like a Xerox machine. You know, Xerox is not the actual name of the machine. It's a, it's a copy machine. But we all call it Xerox because it became ubiquitous with what we do or, you know, a sales funnel. People talk about, you know, click funnels or something like that, or Nike is just do it. And so it's where, or a, what do they call it? Like a Polaroid image, the photographs that we used to have to print out that it becomes so ubiquitous that everybody knows it. And anytime you're talking about taking the mental tools that you need to succeed in the sports world and how they apply to life, it's just working on your game. I mean, anybody hears that phrase, work on your game, it's kind of self-explanatory. I don't have to explain it. I can explain it, but I don't have to. You get it as soon mm. as you see it. Somebody mm. see it, sees me with this hat on, they get it. They're like, oh, work on your game, I get it. So that's, that's the legacy that I want to leave behind, that it lives on long after me. Nice. So coming back to the key lessons, if you were uh, giving recommendations to entrepreneurs out there, aspiring entrepreneurs, what would you tell them? Three things you need to understand about being an entrepreneur. The first thing you must do is identify a need or a void in a marketplace. Identify something that people want or need. Second thing is you must either create or acquire access to the solution. And the third thing is you let people know about it and you offer an exchange for the solution. So for example, if someone, you recognize that people need transportation, need to get from point A to point B, but they don't have a way to get there. You can either build a car or you can get access to cars. You can go find somebody who has a car dealership and say, hey, I'll sell some of your cars. You give me a cut. We call that commission. I get people their cars. They're happy. You're happy. I'm happy. Everybody wins. Win, win, win situation. Excuse me. Then you let people know about it. Uh, here are the cars that I have. Here's how much they cost. You get people to create that exchange. Everybody wins. That's one way. Another way is if you identify, or there are a lot of athletes out there who need to learn how to play basketball, but nobody's teaching them. That's the need. Second one, are you either create or acquire access to the solution? The solution is I'll post these videos on YouTube for free. All you got to do is subscribe to me and you can see you know, how to work on your game. I'm going to give you a ton of free samples of how to work on your game. Then you get to the point where you build up so much demand. And this is what happened with me. I had so many videos on YouTube. The players started saying to me, Dre, you got, I want to work out like you, but you have so many videos. I don't know where to begin. I don't know what to do. I don't know which one to watch first. Can you organize these in some way so that I can train the way you train? I said, mm. sure, I can. But if I do that, that would require a little bit of my time. And therefore, I had to charge you for it. Would you be willing to pay for it? This is in the comment section on YouTube. This is back when you could have uh, civil discussions in the comment section on YouTube. <laughs> I, I posed this question and people responded and said, yeah, well, we'll pay for it as long as you don't charge too much. Now, I know I'm talking to kids who are 13 to 18 years old. So I started making my own programs. The first program I made, I made it that same day. It was a, a PDF document where I just took a bunch of videos that I already had on YouTube and I organized them based on topic. All right, here's dribbling, here's jumping, here's shooting, here's 
how to work on your body. Here's how to work on quickness. Here's how to dunk the basketball. And I would just organize them by topic. And then I would make a name for the drill. And then I would write out a little two to three sentence description of the drill. All right, here's how you do this. Here's why you're doing it. Here's what it's going to do for you. And then I would tell them how much to do it. All right, do this dribbling drill, 100 bounces. Do this, make 10 shots this way, make 10 shots on this side. And I would just make a description of it. And then I would come up with a fancy name for it. And I put it all together into a PDF document that was about maybe 10 pages long. And I said to people, hey, here's my new program. Here's the website you can get it on. It costs $4.99. And I remember made my, I made my first sale. And this is back when, I don't know if you ever had the BlackBerry phone. Remember the BlackBerry? Yes. Yeah, I had a BlackBerry phone in like 2009, right before, I, I think before we switched over to the iPhone. And when you had a BlackBerry back then, if you got an email or a text message, there was this little red light at the top of the phone that would start blinking. And I remember the red light started blinking. It was maybe 10 o'clock at night. The light started blinking the day I put my first program out. And I checked the email on my phone and said, all right, you made a new sale. This is the first sale that I ever made. Now, mind you, because this was so new and it was so primitive the way I had this set up, I had to get on my computer at that point, get on my email, and I had to send an email to that buyer and add as an attachment my PDF document of the program that they had just bought because I didn't even have auto delivery set up. So where mm -hmm. they buy it and they automatically get the program, I didn't even know that existed. So after about <laughs> a week, after about a week of that and waking up every day anxious, like all right, I hope none of my customers are mad at me because they've been waiting for eight hours for their program. I realized that I Googled it and I found auto delivery. So I could get on the site, connect that site to the programs. And then as soon as you buy, you automatically get the product emailed to you. So that was you know, how I got started. So for the entrepreneurs out there, again, the three steps, number one, identify a need. Number two, create or acquire access to the solution. And number three, let people know about it. That is entrepreneurship in a nutshell right there. Excellent. It's a great way to conclude the conversation. Man, thank you very much for the conversation today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Hope you gave some value to your audience. Yeah, that was great. And thank you all for listening. If you have any questions for my guests or for myself, or if you'd like to be a guest yourself, send an email to contact at or reach out on LinkedIn. See you next time. Bye-bye.